Welcome to the Digital Transformationist podcast, where we get curious together about what technology is teaching us about human ingenuity, resilience, and the mysterious force that magnetizes us towards connection with one another. I'm Katie Thomas, and together with our host, Christian Lane, founding partner of Percipio Consulting, our co-host, G-Love, Grammy-nominated artist, and our incredible guests, we embark on a journey to better understand technology's role in amplifying connection between us all. We'll hear from technologists, practitioners, revolutionaries, innovators, environmentalists, artists, and more, all sharing their experiences with technology and how it's affected their lives and industries. In this episode, we're switching things up. Christian will be chatting with one of the amazing people who is part of the very special team that makes up Percipio Consulting. We're delighted to welcome Brian Robison, Principal Architect. Brian has been part of the Percipio Consulting team for more than seven years. His knowledge of software development is as vast as it's deep, and he brings a wide variety of talents to the team. Brian's extensive background in technology was ignited when he built a website for his friend's band way back in 1997. Today's episode is brought to you by the migration experts at AppFire, makers of Configuration Manager for Jira and 150 plus other helpful Atlassian apps. AppFire wrote the ultimate guide to Jira migrations, packed with checklists, worksheets, and expert level guidance to help organizations move from Jira server to data center or cloud with confidence. Learn more and download your free copy at appfire.com migration. All right, here we are again, uh, another podcast. I don't know what episode we're on. Uh, nonetheless, um, Garrett Dutton, G-Love, won't join us today. He's back on the road. He's getting really busy with a lot of live music. Um, uh, you know, as you can imagine, finally getting back to what he does, entertaining people. And uh, we're so happy for him. Uh, but we are working on getting him back scheduled in. And, and don't worry, you'll hear G-Love uh, here in, in coming episodes. On this episode, we're going to change it up a little bit, and uh, I'm going to talk more about the, the people I love, uh, some of our team members at Precipio Consulting. And, uh, and for today, I want to introduce someone, uh, a good dear friend of mine, someone that I've been working with now since May of 2014. I love when I tell people that uh, I love getting gray with other folks, and uh, B-Rob and I, old Brian Robinson, we're, we're getting gray together. Uh, yeah. Brian, welcome to the podcast, brother. Thanks, Christian. It's awesome to be here. Well, I'm glad you're here. Um, I'm glad we've been running with each other as long as we have. Um, solving big problems uh, for a lot of amazing clients. Uh, we've been really lucky to work with the world's uh, biggest and brightest you know, industry leaders. Uh, we've been helping them with technology and process frameworks uh, that are more and more critical and more instrumental in their ability to be competitive. And, you know, we're kind of at the center of that universe. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, Birob, tell me, what have you liked most about consulting in, in the space that we're in? I mean, it, there's a lot of variety. And there, there are certain similarities, I mean, in what we do, because we deal mostly with, with IT departments and, and such. But... Um, now, there's just so much variety across the different industries and what I've seen me working with with startups and working with, with huge fortune 10 companies I mean it, people have the same problems they just have to some problems are, are bigger than others and it's fascinating to be able to develop 
a solution for somebody small and apply that at scale and and also the converse be able to develop something at scale and and see how you can take the learnings from that and apply it down to a, a smaller company yeah well it's 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 always what i love about consulting when i um when i got out of college i got into consulting pretty early and then went over uh, and after a couple of years went over to the electric liability council of texas and I spent six years learning about it operations and and for you know highly critical um, infrastructure and systems, but I always knew I want to get back into consulting. To your point, it's just the variety; like it, it's it's so much that you get to learn. But then I think to your point too, like you get in one industry, learn something that makes that industry successful in its space, and kind of borrow some of those lessons to take to someone in a different industry as well. Um, it's it, it's just amazing. I, I always tell people that you know in a career in consulting, you live and work you know twenty careers. Yeah. Uh, it's fast pace. And that's another kind of thing, you know, the pace, how, how do you keep up with the pace of consulting? Cause it's, it's hard work. That's one thing I always tell people like it's hard work. Consulting's a, a different animal. It, it takes a different animal. How, how do you, you know, get through the, the world of consulting? Yeah. I mean, you, you just have to kind of be open. You have to be open to change. It's like what we tell our customers. I mean, you, you have to be receptive to the, those outside forces and you just have to be comfortable walking into a situation that you might not necessarily be comfortable with. And we can talk more about that. But, um, you know, it, it does take a bit of conditioning. It's It's one of those things where you just have to be able to context switch a lot. And uh, that, that's one of those things that's, that I think is a really big killer for, for teams that um, when you do have a lot of that context switching, but in consulting, that's a lot of what you're doing. I mean, my, my day-to-day is going to be a couple of client calls back-to-back with some internal calls with a sales call with somebody I've never talked to before. And so I have to be ready to have a conversation with somebody I've never met usually yeah. about a topic that I'm just learning about uh, from their perspective. Right. right? And then right. be able to leverage my experience and, and have a, a conversation about that. Yeah, it definitely takes an adaptable, uh, resilient human. That's for yeah. sure. Uh, well, cool. Um, so I mentioned, you know, from the onset that you joined in May of 14. Uh, we've been running seven years. What are some of the things that you've seen uh, over these last seven th- seven years, uh, either you know things in our company or just things in general in, in the in the space in the work that we're in. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, in the space that we're in, when we talk about you know the Atlassian world that we've been in, I mean, the the biggest change has been the the progression to to cloud. So so many customers are either using cloud today, where where they were on prem in the past, or they are in the process of moving from server to cloud. And it, there is that, that shift there, just that shift in thinking where certain things work a different way, or you have to approach things like user management a different way. And things. so we're, we're seeing that, but there, there's also been a shift as well. Some of the larger organizations that are staying on prem, they're, they're doing a lot more with with DevOps automation and things like that. So it's it's kind of this dichotomy that we've got where we've got some people that are, are based on prem, and then we have 
you know, this other set of customers that are that are there in the cloud. And then we have mm-hmm. to be able to manage both of those. On on the company aspect, um, you know, just seeing us go from when when I started, we were at fourteen people, and, <laughs> and now we we've surpassed fifty, and just seeing that growth, and and being a part of of that internal transition has been been really amazing. Yeah, I think one of the the um, the things I'm proud of is that we've been able to continue to help you know these these big and small companies be successful. And that's always the, the focus of us. Our success is really, it's our client success, right? right. Um, but we've been able to grow, I think, and take on much bigger responsibilities, much more uh, high stakes implementations and exercises and efforts and upgrades and migrations and all these things while still maintaining really a high bar for quality and delivering on that. One of the two things that always, I always, always think about when it comes to a philosophical place or just a place of like mental focus for myself and what I want our company to be. And that's quality and responsibility. What are the things that we've done to help companies um, and to take on you know, this kind of growth and this kind of like expertise while still focusing on quality and responsibility? Oh yeah, totally. I mean, wh- one thing that's been really interesting for me in the past few years is it's been fascinating to have a relationship with a customer for so long that you go through, like can see them through like multiple transformations. You see them get gray. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you have the, the opportunity to, to work with them and to continue working with them for, for a long time. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's when you, you come in and you might do an initial project with them for a few weeks and then that leads to another project. And, and now you've been with them for years Mm-hmm. And I mean, there are a couple of clients that we have today that I, I worked with seven years ago, seven years ago. Things, yeah. and we're still working with them today. And it's just been interesting to see how they've transformed their businesses over that time as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, it goes back to, you know, the, our success or their success is our success. Right. Uh, this is very much a relationship trust business. And, you know, I kind of alluded to earlier, like the things our clients are trusting with, us with are, are super important, super critical. Um, and we just hope to keep continuing to deliver as well as we have and as, as we continue to grow. Um, so let's let's switch a little bit more back towards, um, I guess, DevOps and, and how software is changing. You know, share with us a little bit about your backstory. You know, you, you built software. You still do, but, you know, software was your, your principal kind of thing early in your career. But talk to us how like that has evolved and where we're at with DevOps and, and how you how you look at DevOps. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I got started. <laughs> I mean, if we go all the way back, I got started in the '80s. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, my professional career kind of started at, in the late '90s uh, in the website industry. So um, and. You know, back then, it was everybody was still figuring everything out. And we, you had conventional software that was out there, and then you had this new platform, the the you know the web, the internet, and developing websites and applications and then things like that that were running on these um, these new platforms, mm-hmm. and so. There were um, just certain things that that we had to 
don't know, figure out for ourselves. Yeah. Well, Windows, Windows, and and, and it was a NT server. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. Those and, days, you know, multi-tier, like, multi-tier distributed systems was still pretty yeah. new. Yeah, that was pretty new. I mean, it was it was pretty new to have like a an environment where you had a a web server and a database server and and things like that. The first company I worked for, I remember, I remember going. Um, we'd be working on on something, and we were working. Uh, we were doing. A, we were actually developing a soft web based software application, and yeah. our DBA would would go around the office and telling us that he was rebooting the the database <laughs> server or something and that we knew that meant we were going to be down for about 45 minutes or something like that right he had to put but who is your who is your customer base for those 45 minutes right it wasn't nearly what your customer base might be today that's, no. that's you know it's you know it's your, your system's critical to somehow yeah it's internal yeah. but you know obviously outside the, the walls of your business right right so um you know so we had yeah, we we went from that to today. I mean, we we can do you know da- database upgrades in the back end, in the background, and and nobody notices, right? Or spin up an entirely new data center in in a few minutes using some kind of automation. So it, it's been really fascinating to kind of see that progression from when we had whole floors or rooms dedicated to to server hardware and, and equipment and fire suppression systems and things like that. And now we've we've moved to this just environment now where everything is just in this cloud. Mm-hmm. There's still those rooms that have all these servers and fire suppression systems and things in them, but we it's a, it's a utility to us now, right? Utility, yeah. Somebody else's Amazon's managing that today, or Google, Google. or Microsoft, right? And and right. that's where their expertise is. And now the developers and the the IT staff don't necessarily have to maintain that kind of stuff, so they can focus on what's ahead and what's in front of them and keep moving forward and offload some of this this operational stuff to yeah. And bringing you know bringing more solutions uh, to their to their customers, right? Instead of focusing that uh, human hours, excuse me, on uh, you know bringing a machine up and down physically or let, racking and loading, you know, loading racking servers, like yeah. and actually building solutions, enabling the business, you know, to deliver real business value. Yeah, and I mean, and, and you see it too in the the software side, and just trends in in how software development has moved from these these huge like monolithic applications that take months or, or years between upgrades to where you know certain software is just updated you know several times a day mm-hmm. you know, every, every few minutes they can they can be pushing changes out when they want to and and that process there is is automated as well right well we've taken some really significant clients from annual and maybe semi-annual releases um, to uh, you know releasing monthly to releasing weekly to releasing daily to releasing many times during the day um, tell us some examples i guess of some of those kinds of clients that we've done some things with where our ability that you know we've helped them really optimize how they build software how they automate the whole software development process and flow um, in a way that's, yeah, it's allowing them to release all the time as needed. 
Yeah, I mean, one, one of the projects that, that I worked on over the course of a couple of years was with one of our utility clients. And I mean, they went through a wholesale transformation. I mean, on the services side and on the software development side. And they, but before we started working with them, they, they had very little idea of really what it was to, to be an agile organization and be able to do mm -hmm. agile software development. I mean, they were very much attached to that model where, okay, we're going to outline all the requirements first, everything gets built to every single requirement, and we're going to create a release for this. And that release is going to get tested. And we might put out a release once or twice a year. And, um, that was just too slow for them. They they weren't able to respond to clunky and error prone and kind right. of such a mess, like coordination mess. Yeah, it took forever to get anything done, and so they they went through a a process of transforming their whole the whole way of doing things. They they replaced all their old software with modern tools. They they right. were doing what the industry standard was, you know, a few years ago and they wanted to get up to date and mm -hmm. so we we moved them into a more modern tool chain with more modern processes and along the way they implemented a lot of automation as well so that if you needed to develop a new feature for one of their homegrown applications the, the system was smart enough to spin up an environment for you automatically and go mm -hmm. through checks and give you that environment to work in and then mm -hmm. you would make your changes and then that would go through its process and i mean they had even gone as far as to automate a lot of the change control process so when they had a change management board review every week they could see what software changes were were on deck that week and whether any needed approval before they they got put out and things mm -hmm. like that so you know we were able to see them transform in like real time and, and yeah. see that efficiency that, that it brought to the organization. Yeah. And help them ensure that they're relevant and competitive today, right? Yeah. These are these are big these are big strategic changes. You know, one of the things that comes to mind is is you know I mean, you worked on or this project or this client where this particular client I'm referring to is a global fortune, you know, top five you know, biggest retail in the world. And uh, you know, seven, eight years ago, they were concerned with uh, the moves Amazon was making and how Amazon's a big threat. So you helped with consolidating, helping get all of their developers on one platform. Yep. These are thousands and thousands of developers all on one platform. Um, uh, a lot more, obviously a lot more integrated, you know, uh, SDLC with some DevOps you know, capabilities. And this was strategic. I mean, this is this is critical because they really were feeling the pressure of, of Amazon coming, and they knew that they needed technology and software to be competitive in, in the future. And here we are, right? Yep. Yeah, and they were an early mover in that as well. Indeed, is getting to that level, getting to that unified system, and being able to manage it, maintain it, and scale it out, be able to support that that large of an organization. Yeah. So you, you've got experience in software development, DevOps, and that's just kind of touching on some things. You know, service management is also an area you've got a lot of expertise. 
Mm-hmm. Um, talk to us about what you see happening in, in service management. Um, you know, we all think of service desks, you know, and, and have, that they enable work in some way or form. But tell us what you're seeing uh, in the service management space. Yeah, I mean, service management to me is, is like what drives the the work on the inside the the company. Like a lot, a lot of what we see on the we 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 know what a company does, right? But we don't necessarily know how they do it, and mm-hmm. I think management plays into that a lot. It's it's basically that that support behind the scenes and you know a lot of times we we formulate it in in terms of like it service management but what we're seeing a lot especially with our larger customers is really an enterprise approach to service management where they are supporting everything from onboarding a new employee to starting a new project to even like changing light bulbs mm-hmm. you know i mean everybody is is part of the service management organization mm-hmm facilities team is going to use service management just like their their it department hr marketing Mm -hmm. and and i think one of the big goals is is, you know everybody wants to do more with less so they want to be able to have these well-designed systems that will kind of guide them through the process and a lot of the projects that I've worked on with customers is just making sure that 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 design is intelligent enough to where we get the the information we need at the beginning of of the request and then add to it along the way and then have an efficient way of being able to track where things are in the process. So something comes in, be able to triage it, assign it to somebody, get the work done, and then track it through completion. Well, I think also, you know, it allows not only teams and people to, to submit requests in a, in a clear, concise kind of portal approach so that, you know, people aren't lost when they're trying to navigate the company and who to ask for help or who to, who to get service from. It makes that easy, but it also provides um, that person the ability to like understand like where things are. It gives them some amount of visibility yeah. and also a way of interacting, right? And keeping things organized so that they can see like oh good it's in progress i know my it is helping me out i know my facilities team is actually helping me out and if i need to cancel like my request for you know a new desk or a new chair i can just i can just click a button and do it you know i can self-service that way and more quickly interact and i think that's bringing a lot of uh, just um it's just a positive work experience that way maybe some less frustration with you know, the job being like how to figure out how to work in your own environment as opposed to like just doing your job. But I want to just plug quickly, we did a, a state of service management report uh, for 2021. We did this big survey, uh, asked a lot of questions around service management and its expansion into other parts of a business, you know, take, going beyond IT service management, taking some of those practices and principles and applying them into more uh, parts of the organization. And you know, we're finding that there's a, a, a lot of interest and a lot of folks moving to expanding these service management capabilities beyond IT. And I know that you've worked with some clients on, on some more specific areas of business that are not IT related. Um, can you share some stories perhaps about some of the service management projects you've worked on? Yeah, there's some creative uses for, for service management outside of IT. I mean, I can think of one ex- specific example. Um, 
I didn't work on this project, but uh, Brian Nye, one of my colleagues, did a couple of years ago for the, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, New York, where they utilized Jira to track requests for um, their artwork. I think they were using it for, for tracking both art that was sent out for repair and art that was sent out for on loan. It's like that people could come in and, and make a request for a specific piece it was all cataloged in the system and you could get a dashboard and, and see where where this artwork was in their system mm-hmm. it's one of the most i think creative uses I, i've seen for, for the, you know just the tool well i think prior to the the process work and tool work that we did with them i think they were ma- using masking tape to put like a post-it on the back of a piece of artwork yeah to like to, to track it through some process um, and, and these are like priceless artifacts, priceless pieces of art. <laughs> At least now have a real now they have a real sense of like where things are as, as you described. Um, comical, but real, right? Oh yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, and that's something that you know they they worked with what they had. They yep. they they weren't technology experts; they were art experts, and they approached it the best way they could. And I mean, I think. You know, that, that's one of the advantages I think we have of as, as a consultant, though, is that we get to work with all these different industries again, and we can see how, and it's like, oh, well, you know, I know, I know you're not in this space, but in, in the technology space, we could do it this way, and, and this process can apply to you. And, and that's one of those, those areas we can really shine with our, our customers. Yeah, you know, maybe to add to that, I think one thing that makes us really unique in the space that we're in, and perhaps even in a broader way, is that you kind of talk about we're a consulting firm. Well, um, we're, we're a process consulting firm as well. So when we think about an implementation of some solution, we're, we're approaching it from both the process side of things as well as the technology side of things. So when we go through an exercise of implementing this, there's a, there's a clear method that we go through it's very repeatable. It's highly successful. You know, we've got a, a 72 lifetime NPS, which is remarkable when you benchmark us in any industry. But what I'm getting at is that, you know, we do a lot of process optimization, a lot of process thinking, a lot of process consulting uh, in the same effort and exercise to implement the tool. And I think that's where we bring a, a tremendous amount of uniqueness uh, and really just a, a huge advantage to our customers because not only are they getting some technology to help manage something, like we're actually optimizing process from a process consulting perspective uh, and really just giving them a much better solution and helping them really just be uh, that much better off after the tool is in place. You know, the adoption's high, the, the ROI is high. Um, and I think it's for those reasons too that like our customers keep coming back to us for more solutions as you alluded to earlier. We've got clients we've been working with for 10 years, right? Um, I think it's pretty remarkable. It is. We were a remote company day one. And then in about, I guess about a couple of years before we brought you on board, we, we moved into an office out on the east side of, of town in Almena Road. So you got to live through that, the first office with us and then a more corporate space. And then in October of 19, we got out of our commercial lease and, uh, and decided to go back to being a, a remote first company. And some people told us we were genius about that because we got ahead of COVID. 
uh, it just happened to be luck and I think our ability and willingness to, to make a move when we, when we had the opportunity. Uh, but the reality is, is that, you know, teams are more distributed now than ever. I think the whole argument about work from home and work remote is, is done. Um, what, are, what are some new modalities of work uh, that you think are possible? Uh, perhaps wouldn't be possible without the, the, the technologies we have. You know, do you think these th trends will continue? What kind of recommendations do you have? I don't. I don't think so. I mean, the the way that <clears throat> not not really in the way that we're working today. You know, the businesses that that we work with, ours included, that that are successful, are, are the ones that are embracing these new technologies. They're they're embracing. DevOps and, and service management and, and chat ops in particular. I think that's been huge. Um, the, these companies are reworking their own processes to take advantage of, of all these tools and, and the efficiencies that come from them. I mean, just, I mean, you talked about, about Percipio Consulting being, being remote first and then us moving fully remote in 2019. I mean, I, I went fully remote in 2016 when, when I moved from Austin and, That's true. you know, rely on, on the technologies we have every day. So, I mean, my whole day is, is in using these tools like, like Zoom and Slack and, and the Atlassian suite to, to be able to do my job, mm -hmm. be able to talk to my customers and, uh, moving toward conversations and, and alerting and things. Just to give you an example, I mean, one of the projects I'm working on is in the DevOps space, and, and we're actually doing some automation of of managing the Atlassian tools, right? So we're we've got configuration management software and CI continuous improvement tools that are actually building out infrastructure in AWS and deploying Jira and making updates to Jira and things like that. And those processes all roll back into Slack. So, I mean, I, I can make a change, a configuration change to, to Jira in, in a configuration file that's stored in, in Git. And when Jira gets that update, I get a real-time notification in Slack that, that the build finished, right? And that that new configuration changes live. And I didn't have to physically log into a server and do any of that. Just the, the system did all that stuff for me. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that that particular, in particular, is not gonna be possible. But you know, just knowing that all I have to do is go in and change a file and the system is gonna take care of that allows me to focus on other things while that whole process is running in the background. You know? um, I, I think, these, these trends are going to continue. I mean, technology is is evolving and there's always going to be a best new way of doing something. I mean, we're, we're gonna see a, a trend where remote work I think is gonna be the norm and the the background support systems are, are gonna have to support that. And that. That's where like the emphasis on service management is gonna be important because mm -hmm. we're, not everybody is going to be in one location. We're, we're and we're going to be dependent on on these tools for remote collaboration, but also need to have a an effective process in place on the back end to be able to support all these teams. Indeed, you just can't walk down the hall and go tap on 
you know, steal an accounting shoulder or, you know, tap on gym and uh, procurement or facilities shoulder to say, hey, I need something done. Um, let's change subject here because I don't think we'd be us without talking about Austin or talking about music. Um, I, I wish G was available for this particular podcast because I, I know that you would have liked to have, have, have spent some time with him. Uh, but, it, it, you know, Austin's got its very strong culture, um, a lot of music and tech in our culture. Uh, you've been in, you were in Austin for quite a while before you moved back up to Indiana uh, to be uh, close to your, your wife's family. But tell us, tell us about Austin and, and just kind of the role that it plays in our culture and how we contribute back to Austin. Well, I mean, I mean, I, I, I was drawn to Austin, I think, originally when, when a lot of people were drawn to Austin. I mean, just that the creative community there that just kind of fosters um, just life in general. I will say this. It was a lot harder to move to Austin and get a job when you and I made our moves as, as compared to now. I mean, it's yeah. crazy. It's crazy yeah. different. Right? It is crazy different. It is crazy different. I mean, the first time I went to Austin was gosh, back in early 90s or so. Mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, I was definitely drawn uh, as a musician first. And I mean, that was one of my big draws for, for moving to Austin originally was, was the music scene there and just how vibrant it was and how active it was. And there, there was an old saying, I mean, you know, if you if you're in a band, you're, you're in like five different bands. And I mean, that, that was my life for a while. I mean, I was in three or four bands at one time. Wow doing that but um you know there, there's just a you know, there, there's just a draw there that the ut has a lot to do with it because you, you have this constant influx of of young people with new ideas and um you know i mean back then as people were, would be drawn to ut and then they would finish ut and they would stick around and they would start bands and and um start coffee shops and, and and start this kind of culture there and and that was a big draw for for, for people especially you know coming out of, of college and and looking for for a sense of community and things like that and you know a lot of us on the I guess in the tech industry there there have been several waves of, of tech companies in Austin I mean back back in the 90s you had the the homegrown, Kind of uh, tech companies, Tivoli, Tivoli and uh, Trilogy, and Trilogy. You know, and even Dell. You know, back then. Yeah. And, um, you know, I I came along kind of right at the end of that, and like mm -hmm. my first roommates in Austin back then were, were ex Trilogy people. They right. they had left Trilogy and had kind of branched out on their own. And everybody was doing something, but mm -hmm. we were all doing something that had something to do with the web and, hmm. and new technology and, and things like that. And it was just a really vibrant kind of time. But um, a lot of a lot of those contributions though come back, you know, back back into Austin and um, just kind of make it what what it is. What uh, see you're you're very talented in so many ways, including uh, you mentioned you've been in a lot of bands. What uh, what what's your favorite uh, guitar? The favorite guitar? That, yeah, it's hard. It's a hard answer. Yeah. Of, of your of your electric guitars, what's your favorite? Guitar? My electric guitars. Uh, my I mean my favorite my favorite one is is probably the first 
like real vintage guitar that like I set my sights on and I I, I would like wanted like like my first dream guitar I guess and, okay. uh, what is that it's a it's a 1973 uh, Telecaster Deluxe so um like it's like uh uh Tom York from Radiohead played one um nice Lee Ronaldo from Sonic Youth. Uh, Chris Shiflett from the Foo Fighters has a signature version of it. <laughs> it's, it's like a, it's a Telecaster on steroids. So it's got big humbuckers in it. It's got a big Strat headstock on it, like the Jimi Hendrix style, like oversized headstock. And, um, you know, but it was like the first, it was like kind of that first, like real dream guitar that, that I got. And so, yeah, that, that's my, that's my favorite guitar in, in my, my collection. Nice. You've got quite a collection and you had even uh, a little workshop back in Austin where you'd uh, repair and do your soldering and all that. You, you, yeah. Did you get that over to Indiana? You still doing that? Yeah. 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 I actually have it set up in my, my office here. So I'm, I'm lucky in that my, my home office used to be the original garage to my house. Oh, sweet just this big room so i've got got my instruments i've got i've got my workspace for work in in the corner and then the rest of it is for for doing music so i have a table set up that i can work on guitars on and then i have one for recording and i have amps and stuff and other parts of the room nice and i, I still tinker um i can't leave anything alone <laughs> I, I feel like every every instrument i buy i have to change something on it yeah <laughs> nice. the, the tinker yeah very cool well, well b rob we're up, we're coming up on 15 years uh, as a business um since we started back in 06 mm-hmm. um i can't believe it's gone by that fast i can't believe about seven years ago this fast uh but, but thank you i appreciate you so much brian appreciate you brother you're welcome i mean it's and, been uh, quite a ride yeah, man. So much more good things to come. Uh, a lot more bigger, better challenges still. Uh, a lot of clients do amazing things and you know, have amazing challenges. So I'm looking forward to, to all the things to come. Um, all right. So these are just like one, one word, two word kind of answers. This is the speed round. All right. You ready for it? Yeah. All right. Favorite neighborhood in Austin. Uh, it's got to be East Austin. I mean, that's where I lived for 12 years. Just off Manor Road. <laughs> just off Manor Road, just down the street from the old office. Nice. Uh, favorite music venue, past or present? Oh, man, that, that one's tough. Um, I mean, I, I, moved, I moved away about five years ago, so it's probably going to be a past venue, but I, I got to say Beerland. All right. Uh, it's, it's not there. Red anymore. River. It's on Red River. Is it not? Yeah, it was, uh, huh? They they sold it a couple of years ago, but um, I think I think it's still a venue, but it's not Beerland anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, favorite cafe? Uh, Bolden Creek. All right, down south. Favorite bar? Oh man, this one's. I don't think this one's there anymore either. But it was the Long Branch Saloon on East Eleventh. All right. Uh, favorite park? Favorite park um, in Austin. Oh, 
I mean, uh, there's so many. I, I, um, the easy answer. <laughs> yeah. You have, I really like, um, uh, there's a park up north on like off Shoal Creek that's really good. I can't remember the name of it, but that, I like that one a lot too. Cool, cool. Uh, favorite festival? I, I gotta say, Fun, Fun, Fun Fest. That was uh, a lot of fun back in the day. Yeah. A lot of good uh, punk. Yeah. Nice. Uh, favorite gadget? Favorite gadget? Um, these days, it, it's probably gonna be uh, one of my guitar pedals. Sweet. Uh, yeah. What's so special about it? Uh, well, the one, the one right now is by this company Maris. It's called the Polymoon. And it's a delay pedal that's got this built-in modulation that's super cool, like flam, yeah. bass, and kind of chorus, and and get real spacey and and versatile uh, <laughs> kind of thing. I've been getting into it a lot lately. Sweet. Favorite software. Oh gosh, favorite software. <laughs> I'm, I'm, again, I'm going to go the music route. Uh, Universal Audio, they they make fantastic software. Cool, cool. They so make a lot of plugins for recording and things like that. Let's get let's get on sales and, and get them as a customer, right? Yeah. I've, we've got a list of like customers that we just we're all just dying to do business with. Let's make sure we get on that list. I think we've talked to them before, actually. Yeah, have we? Oh, sweet. Yeah, I think they might be on the list already. Nice. Uh, favorite book. Uh, recently, uh, it's Yes Chef, uh, Marcus Samuelson's um, memoir. Okay. It was it was a terrific read. Just his life is so fascinating, and um, I'm I love food and I love cooking, and in a um, different life, I I might have been a chef instead of a <laughs> DevOps consultant for <laughs> <laughs> architect, you know. Yeah. Well, let's yeah. uh, get segue to the next question. Texas barbecue or Louisiana crawfish bowl? Oh, man. Um, that's a tough decision. I I'm going to go with barbecue. Nice. I, I brought a, I was down in Louisiana for a couple months earlier uh, this year, and I brought a smoker back with me, and uh, I've been really getting into it in nice. the last few months. Yeah. <laughs> Well, B-Rob, I appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much for the time and for the visit and for sharing a little bit about yourself and your experiences and the kinds of things that we do. Oh, terrific. Yeah, this is great. Thank you so much for having me. Sweet. Thanks for listening to the Digital Transformationist podcast brought to you by Precipio Consulting. Precipio Consulting provides flexible, scalable, expert-level IT and business solutions to enhance productivity and decrease cost. Check out our other episodes, access show notes and links, and listen to some great bonus content on our website at precipio.com. Like what you heard? Subscribe, rate, and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And tell a friend. We love making new friends. I'm executive producer Katie Thomas. Victor Vargas is our lead engineer. Alejandro Caballero is our editor. Rodrigo Martinez and Stephanie Harrison are our writers. If you want to find out how we can help you with your organization's digital transformation, 
or if you just want to find out more about digital transformation, send us an email at contact at Thanks for tuning in.